22nd anniversary. Saint Anthony is awesome. Shipping babies. All of that and more on this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a mostly daily show about stuff. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it and have an awesome today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Do I have to talk? Can I just smile and nod my head? Is that good enough? Will that inspire people to watch the videos? <laughs> no, I think people are mostly here for your commentary. Like, feels like it's not a soliloquy, but it sounds like it. What's the video look like? Yeah. Speaking of what it looks like, prior to us recording, you were like, do you need to do anything? To I was extending grace to you, ready. to be you. And now I, in retrospect, realize that you're like, you're fresh from the pool. You mm -hmm. literally still have your swimsuit on. Swimsuit. You got to record like this. You got a, a white haze of sunblock to your complexion. <laughs> you could have told me that. Well, I didn't you know. have access to mirrors. <laughs> mirrors exist. Do I? Do you want me to run your life? I haven't. Well, sometimes you need to, frankly. Okay. Um, I haven't even looked in a mirror. Is it bad? Are you embarrassed? No, I'm not at all. Over? I think it's authentic and real and true. And it doesn't bother me a bit because I love you equally with or without sunblock. And if anybody's going to make a decision to participate or not, because you had shadows of sunblock, then screw off. That is the perfect thing for you to say to me on this, our wedding anniversary. Is it? It is. It is. Yes. It's so this Son of whole a gun. time paradox thing. I have in you real life. You panic and right yeah, I was like, what? Damn. In real life, I have hours to catch up with my negligent behaviors. But yeah, you threw me into tomorrow. Yes. When when our viewers watch this, it is already yes, anniversary. Yes, Today true. as we record it, not yet. See, here's the disturbing part is because I struggle so greatly with these <laughs> these time frames. I literally, when we had parted ways a few moments ago to finish each of our own prep for this, I was thinking, okay, so tomorrow we can talk about coming up on the anniversary. And I was really, I had I was planning a whole thing. Yep. But now I can't because I shouldn't have to begin with because We're I here. should have done it for now. <laughs> Now i got to be ready for every dang thing a day before the thing. This is a radical lifestyle change for you. <sighs> it is. I don't, I don't know how to work in this place. You're doing a great job. Mm. And it's giving you a heads up. Look, you, like you said, you've got hours and hours to think about. It is our anniversary, 22 years, June 13th. What if we started recording at midnight? Oh. Then I'd be, then I'd be back on track. Yeah. Well, good luck with that if you want to co-host. <laughs> Because you Indeed. know where I'll be, and that's snoring somewhere. Indeed. Asleep. Okay. All right. Do you want either of these big... Wait, you do. You have big, a... Usually uh, you do like this today. I know. It's June 13th. It is June blah, blah, 13th. Blah, 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 and it blah, is, blah, in blah. fact, today, our 22nd wedding anniversary, and nothing else matters. Everything centers around this pinnacle moment in life and history. If I may. No. If I may. Meg doesn't love me as much as I love her. This is a very important day to us, but if I may, uh, to Catholics around the world, today is also yeah. the Feast of St. Anthony of Padua. 
Yeah, yeah. Most well-known for helping you find your keys when they're lost. I actually, you know, it's such a joke to be like, oh, I know St. Anthony so well. St. Anthony, St. Anthony, please look around. Something is lost that really must be found. He comes through. He comes through. St. Anthony does. And I do lose things a lot. But you know what? Because of that and the fact that we inadvertently did not know this in our Protestant life, got married on his feast day. That's right. I have this very special affinity for St. Anthony. He has genuinely become a dear friend of mine. And so I feel the need to say happy feast of St. Anthony of Padua. Indeed. To all of you, he is a fantastic friend to get to know. And he will go ahead and help you find those lost things. Likely so. Okay. All right. Now, of the two that I wrote down. Yes. Do you want either of these? I'll take the first one. Okay. Do you know about it? I do know about it. Um, I, you Usually, because you know I am old, I you usually blow up the text on oh. our notes, on our oh. teleprompter. I don't know how to do that. It's okay. Here. I'm going to do the format. very best I can. Everyone, please pardon my squinting. Feel free to lean forward. June 13th in the year 313. 313. You did this for me because I told you I wanted more dates from antiquity. Both hand. It's also <laughs> a pretty significant date in history, whether people appreciate it or not. Um... Nicomedia? Nicomedia. Nicomedia publishes the Edict of Milan signed by the co-emperors of Rome, Constantine the Great and Valerius. Licinius. Licinius. Licinius, however you choose. Okay. And that granted religious freedom in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Now, mistakenly, many people believe that this is when Christianity became the state religion of Rome. It did not. It merely made it legal to practice Christianity and I would guess any other religious cult or whatever you want yeah, to call whatever, it. Yeah, whatever you wanted to do. Uh, that was around at the time. Mm-hmm. You could you had religious freedom as uh, a Roman citizen and, and maybe even throughout the empire, whether you were a citizen or not. I don't know. Right. What one, you tell me. One of the, that, That's true. One of the reasons that it's often mistaken as Christianity becoming the state religion of Rome is because Constantine did later claim Christianity at this point in time, though, in history, he was not claiming it. He was intrigued by it, mm-hmm. and he was talking about it. And it was a decision uh, that that he made, and more or less forced Licinius into signing as well this edict to say, "It's we're no longer going to kill you, steal all your lands, do all the horrible things that had been happening to Christians. That it's okay," yeah. which allowed him then to freely pursue investigation of it. He did later become Christian, um, even sainted, right? Yes, he is sainted. All right, yeah. that's right. Saint so the great. Mm-hmm. it was big, but prior to this, yeah, the number of Christians martyred—it's kind of a big deal. That's right. Okay. All right. Now, this is fascinating to me. I love the oddities, the the true like what? Those are the most fascinating things to me. Not that I don't love history of Christianity and different things that mean something in my life, but things like this. This is amazing. June 13th of 1920, the U.S. Post Office Department rules that children may not be sent by parcel post. And it's a good thing they do. Right? And it's like, what? So parcel post began shipping packages on January 1st of 1913. And literally, it's like almost immediately, people (laughs) begin shipping babies. Not just like, here's my eight-year-old, like infants. And and Bullshit. in the following 18 months from January of 13 until June of 
of wait. Did I write that down wrong? It wasn't. Maybe I 19, wrote that down wrong. Nineteen thirteen to nineteen twenty. Um. Yeah, it's more than eighteen months. Yeah. But I may have written oh. the date down wrong. Okay. Uh, any in any effect. Um. Yeah. So babies, children, mailed around the country. Um, and there's one instance of a four-year-old girl who made the cut because the, the weight limit was 50 pounds and she was 49 pounds and something as a four-year-old girl. Um, they like clothes pinned the money to her dress. She was mailed 73 miles down the road to her grandparents' house. This incident itself became legendary to the point where there was a children's book written called Mailing May. Her name was May. And yeah, and so then it was in 1920 that the, the <laughs> post office said children are now classified as dangerous animals rather than harmless live animals that do not require food or water, so you can't mail your kids anymore. Story checks out. That's amazing. Dangerous animals. That's amazing. Yeah. Food. They were righter than they knew. <laughs> amazing. Can you imagine taking your infant no. and packaging them up? And they, they threw out the stuff I was reading. There's, you know, there's actual written history of people calling into the post office to say, what are the, what are the packing regulations oh my around my child? Amazing. God bless America. We're dumb. We're dumb. Us All right. Humans. Here we go. Okay. So we are entering into chapter three of the coddling of the, the, the American mind. Yep. Um, and chapter three is the completion of section one. So there's there's principles that are gathered in this first section that, yes. that then feed into the next. Yeah. Uh, but for chapter three, we have the statement, the human mind evolved for living in tribes that engaged in frequent and often violent conflict. Our modern day minds readily divide the world into us and them, even on trivial or arbitrary criteria as Henry Henri, some guy's name, psychological experiments demonstrated. And his experiments were that, like spur of the moment, he would take a group and assign them just random, arbitrary, arbitrary, non-meaningful things that would classify them into groups and then follow through with activities to see who, who responded how people responded to each of the groups. This was carried on in many other studies afterwards. One that was fascinating to me, they plugged people's brains into effectively, was it an MRI or MRI? something like that? Yeah. And then they would show them videos of someone's hand, either getting pricked with a needle or touched with a cotton swab. And then they would write the name of a religion mm -hmm. on that person's hand or any other kind of identifying group. And for, the instances where the test subject could identify some way with that, it was their religion, mm -hmm. uh, it was their group in some way, their brain response was significantly stronger than when they had no affiliation with That's the right. group. That's right. I found this section so fascinating because I feel like an often repeated critique of our culture today is, oh, we're so divided. Everything's so divisive. We're so divided. Why can't we come together? And that is true, 
And it's also true that our brains are right. wired that it way. It is survival this, instinct. Yes, this was brand new information for me. And definitely survival instinct going back to the way back days of tribal living in the mm -hmm. sense of like, this is our group. We protect each other. We're against the world. And so this idea of us and them is almost like you could even say paleolithic in nature indeed and is embedded into how our brains work mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i i really well, take it all the way back if you so choose to believe in creation theory and adam and eve and they were the only humans for a time they would have had these same responses to animals maybe yeah. that weren't their mm -hmm. direct tribe and kind and likeness right yeah we do the same thing we've recently talked about Freaking out because there's a stupid opossum in our yard, right? Yes, haven't seen him again. It's a, it's he just a different thing. Well, up and went on. He with keeps, his life. he keeps pooping in my garage. Oh. There was a fresh one out there last Saturday. Ooh, okay, we'll see as I go out to mow the lawn this weekend if that remains. Um, are we good there? You want yeah. to go to the next one? That's good. Okay, identity politics takes many forms. Some forms, such as that practiced by Martin Luther King Jr. and Polly Murray, can be called common humanity identity, identity politics because its practitioners humanize their opponents and appeal to their humanity while also applying political pressures in other ways. Yes, that's, yeah. So to think about Dr. King Jr., how many times did he say, you know, my brothers and sisters, my fellow Americans, he's identifying the commonplace things to bring people into a sense of unity. When the forever, when the president has had an address on television, my fellow Americans. Right, exactly. It's to establish each other on the same page moving forward. Yes. Um, the same identity. Yes. I think that that is... You know, you look at Dr. King's work, it's not that he was like, let's all just be united and be happy with the things right. things are. Right. That he absolutely had a vision for what needed to happen in our country as far as civil rights go. And so he galvanized with appealing to all people, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a, an appeal to just like for the status quo. Right. It was a, an appeal for the advancement of civil rights. There's a there's another instance cited in this chapter that's actually during a Trump rally. Um, and there was a group who'd shown up, and I think it was a, a BLM group who'd yes. shown up intentionally to protest. And just, I honestly think it's just luck rather than wisdom. Whoever it was that was running this invited and offered have, you may have, uh, BLM group, you may have an amount of time up here to come speak your mind. Yeah. It's free speech is what we're after. Yeah. And they did. And very first statement out of the guy's mouth was, I'm an American. Mm -hmm. And the crowd cheers. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it, and it was the whole description of this event was an ebb and flow of mm -hmm. any time there was identification established of sameness, same yes. identity that people were like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as it deviated to our group or your group or any people are like, Boo, no. And, right. and it's so it's, it's far more just a perspective of what's the best way to be heard. What's the best way to make progress. And at the end of this thing, this guy, and I think, I don't know if he was the leader or just a member of bikers for Trump or something. I mean, they're, 
one of them's holding the other's kid. They're smiling, taking a photo together, and there's there's a real bridge in humanity that occurs there. Exactly. Yeah. Really fascinating. Yeah. Then counter to that, the next point, um, or maybe it's not. Hang on. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Common enemy identity politics. As opposed to common humanity. Right. Yeah. Common enemy instead. On the other hand, tries to unite a coalition using the psychology embedded in the Bedouin proverb, I against my brothers, I and my brothers against my cousins, I and my brothers and cousins against the world. It is used on the far right as well as the far left. Right. Again, just this idea of if we can demonize, if mm-hmm. we can de-hum- dehumanize the people that we are opposed to ideologically or whatever. Right. Unite in our hate rather yes. than in our, our love or even just common ground. Exactly. That that is a tactic of identity politics that um, unfortunately gets more and more play today than yeah. it has in the past. It yeah. feels like to us anyway. It's certainly what it sounds like as to how the news media outlets would report things. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Who knows in reality on the ground how things are unless you've been there. Mm-hmm. And even then you were only in one section of things. Exactly. It's hard to say. Totally. Um, intersectionality is a popular intellectual framework on campuses today. Again, keeping in mind that this book is written from the perspective of a collegiate educator. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but certainly applicable beyond. Um, certain versions of it teach students to see multiple axes of privilege and oppression that intersect. While there are merits to the theory, the way it is interpreted and practice on, practiced on campus can sometimes amplify this tribal thinking and encourage students to endorse the untruths of us versus them. That life is a battle between good people and evil people, end of story. Right. And so this takes the idea, like you said, in axes, there's actually like a graph. Mm-hmm. and Like imagine a... A bicycle wheel with spokes. Yes. All of these things intersecting. Right. And that, um, you know, certain points above the, on the top part, like if you cut it in half. Mm -hmm. An absolute divider. Right. And so if you're, if you're on the top part of it, if you're associated with a group that might be seen as having power, then you're bad. You're right. a bad person. Well, and not just power, group. but just purely the opposite side of whatever other concern, however that's been defined. Right. Yes. So if you could identify any two things, whether they're actually related or just perceived to be or otherwise, is really inconsequential. It's just if we determine that you're either for this or you're against it, and so that if you if you match really anybody that looks like somebody that's been against it in any broad sweeping way, shape or form that you two are guilty. Right. Just because you're not victimized, you're guilty. And you know, it's kind of goes back to this idea of concept creep because the original, um, I think it was a professor, a woman, mm-hmm. I think she's a black woman mm-hmm. who started to um, put out the idea of the need for intersectionality. Yes. Was, this was like 89 was when she originally wrote. Right. And I don't mean to, I'm not cutting you off. I'm adding yes. some color here. She has gone on to have some wildly popular TED Talks. It's yes. a, a concept she's carried forward despite the fact that others have taken it and perverted it. Exactly. Because her original call was the fact that feminism um, 
by intention or unintention was excluding women of color. And so she was... Well, combinatively. Right. Because she pointed out an exact example through her study, right, Mm -hmm. at a a major corporation to say, when you looked at, uh, and it was specifically black people, when you looked at black men, well, they were employed fairly. When you looked at women at this company, they were employed fairly, but that these intersex overlooked black women Mm -hmm. who are neither men nor white women. And Mm -hmm. so they were in fact being not treated fairly, but that you'd never see that if you didn't look at the things right. Exactly. And so she put forth this, this call to, to look at the places where these ideas, these philosophies are intersecting and put forth a call for, hey, you know, like originally talking about feminism and women's rights, it needs to be more inclusive to all women. Mm-hmm. Well, again, this concept creep kind of takes it and extrapolates the idea um, going further and further out from there to the point where it does, instead of just becoming like, we need to come together and recognize this problem, it becomes more of like, this is a battle between right. the good people and the evil right. people. Right, this absolute midpoint of you're either a victim or a victimizer that nothing else exists. Right, 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 right. Total dichotomy and nothing in between. Okay. Common enemy identity politics, when combined with microaggression theory, produces a call-out culture in which almost anything one says or does could result in public shaming. This can engender a sense of walking on eggshells, and it teaches students or people in general, habits of self-censorship, call-out cultures are detrimental to students and humans' education and bad for their mental health. Call-out cultures and us-versus-them thinking are incompatible with the educational and research missions of universities, which require free inquiry, dissent, evidence-based argument, and intellectual honesty. Yes. So I know I myself have definitely felt just in talking online in social media or saying things on the podcast, that walking on eggshells feeling of being afraid of offending either definitely in my case, unintentionally. Right. um, I'm not an offensive person. I don't like conflict. I, and I say, I'm not an offensive person. Like I will by nature try to avoid offending anyone, but I feel like that call out culture, cancel culture, which has become more popularly known as makes us all afraid to speak our minds. And we have lost so much of what he's talking about here, the university model of p- putting forth an assertion and l- putting it out for debate. That's why traditionally in the way the university structure works, if you are getting your doctorate, you have a thesis that you defend. You have work that you have to defend. And the the role of the of your um, you know board who's hearing your thesis or whatever it is, their job is to pick it apart and to make you stronger. Right. Then through not to it. condemn you to right. never existing again. Exactly, exactly. So there's a there's a goal there of like let's strengthen what you believe in this instead of just being canceled. And I do think that now in 2020, we are beginning to see the paradigm shift a little bit back the other way mm-hmm. because I do think that people are so exhausted with cancel culture. I hope. My gosh, I hope. I do think. I think we're on the very beginning cusp of it beginning to go back to um, a a different model that encourages conversation, encourages 
um, less than Twitter uh, characters, you know, being right. given to a topic and, and allowing people to fully state what's going on. And it's interesting about the public shaming part too. Um, John Ronson wrote a well-known book in the past decade called you've, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, talking about this public shaming culture that exists online. Now, he doesn't really... Uh, it's interesting because it kind of runs parallel to this chapter. Um, he looks at some different causes for how we got into this thing of call out culture, but yeah, it's definitely something that is that did not just stay on university campuses, right? And nor did it just stay within its own timeline, right? I I recently I listen to a lot of stuff when I can, so it goes kind of in spurts when I'm able to and not, but. I was listening. It's. I feel like it's been within the last week, or otherwise it may not have stuck out quite as strongly. Um, a guy was talking about, it's been several years ago now, um, and now I'm going to forget names because names are the bane of my existence. <laughs> um, not only character names, but real-life people Real-life people. Former Saturday Night Live guy that now is the night show host. Uh, Jimmy Fallon? Yes, okay. Jimmy Fallon. Thank you for taking that journey with me. Okay. So Jimmy Fallon, by all reports, is very good friends, longtime friends with Chris Rock. Okay. And several years ago, he had, and I don't know if it was on his show or at a party or where, but he had dressed up as Chris Rock. Okay. And at the time, no one was triggered, microaggressed, anything about it. It was just like, here's... Here he is dressing up like he's friend. Mm -hmm. Well, retrospect then, and in this hypersensitive time, it's a look to say, oh, well, he dressed up with blackface and it was a slam against black culture. And he's just now, you know, gasping like that wasn't, not only was it not my heart and intent to hurt anyone, it wasn't perceived that way when I did it. Here's something out of nowhere, but now I'm. Right. Now I'm being held under judgment right. of something taken way out of context mm -hmm. and incorrect. And that's no way to live. How can we how can we hope to get along? There was one other example that was actually given in I think in the book that was talking about a girl who somebody had gone online as a, a warrior to dig up some post that she'd made that was racist. She'd made it at the age of fifteen, and who is right. possibly even as 40-plus-year-olds, we can't stay up to date with all the things we should be afraid of to say and cautious about. And as a child, she made a statement, and I think it even ended up getting her uh, admission to a, a very prestigious university ultimately denied and revoked after the fact. Exactly, yeah. There is a, a sense of, like, not only do you have to be careful about what you say now, again, that sort right. of eggshells. You've better eggshells. been right your whole life. Exactly. And, and in it, today's standards, not then. Right. And again, it does look at this idea of that you're either absolutely good, good, yeah. good, good, in our eyes, good, or you're absolutely evil. There right. is not a place for nuance or a place for explanation of right. like, would I have said that now? No, of course not. It, there's not even... Or, or maybe you would have, but still, if people would extend just the better intentions rather than worse. Well, right. Yes. Right out of the gate. Who doesn't need... 
every day some education right. on how to behave better. I can't count how many times just as we've been recording that you've nudged me and said, you can't say that. And I'm clueless about it. And I don't mean it maliciously. Right. It's just, and I'm happy to adjust when I know I'm not out to hurt anybody's feelings. Right. Even if I am on the opposite end of this very bipolar spectrum that says I must be the enemy because I'm not the victim. Right. Yeah. Just help help me help you. Help me help you. So yeah, I had a lot of big feels about this. This was a great first section. I mean, it really, it allows you to see the perspective of how we've gotten here. It also digs into some deep philosophical stuff that I was like, I feel like a little bit of a smarter person for knowing about this. Yeah, yeah delving into different philosophies that that not only like years ago, but like decades and decades, even sometimes centuries ago, yes. sort of laid the groundwork for this and to see how it has um, evolved and been adapted into our modern culture. It's very fascinating stuff. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So we look forward to the next section. Don't know if we'll continue chapter at a time or if yeah. we'll be able to grab more. It's really, the information is so dense. It's, yeah. It's hard to just be like, here's a whole thing without cheating. Right, exactly. Parts. So we'll just we'll, we'll run see. it as it makes sense to our limited brains. That's right. And they are limited. Definitely mine. Okay. Well, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I still love you. I love you. Even if you're socially insensitive. <laughs> you never know what goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> I might I might tell people one day. But in the meantime, have an awesome today, would you? Please do. Bye. If you are interested in shipping your baby, you cannot do so through the United States Postal Service. UPS and FedEx may also be out of the question. Start with DSL and go from there.